So we're gonna continue in our series today in the book of 1 John. And last week, we said that uh, John, who wrote this letter of 1 John, he's the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John. He's the same guy that wrote the book of Revelation. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was the last living disciple. When he died, he was probably in his late 80s to early 90s. Um, and, and so John wrote later in his life these letters of First, Second, and Third John, and and he wrote this letter so that we could have confidence in our faith. First John was written to give us certainty and confidence. Uh, the name of our series is that you may know, and, and that's why John wrote this letter that we could know that we know. First John chapter five verse thirteen, John says very. Plainly and simply, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Everybody say, that you may know. One more time, that you may know. He has written so that we may know that we have eternal life. John wrote so that we could know that we could have confidence. And we live in a world where you know, knowledge is up for grabs. Knowledge is whatever you discover on your own. Truth is whatever you make for yourself. We find our own truth. We, we find our own path. And John says, no, I'm writing so that you can know what truth is, so that you can know who God is, so that you can know who you are in him, that you can know that you have eternal life. John says, I'm writing so that you may know. And so, as we study the book of John, we study so that we can know, so that we can know who God is and, and how he has called us into a relationship with him. One other thing that I wanna just review from last week really quick is uh, John wrote to combat a, a certain philosophy that was really common in his day and that continued to grow even within the Christian church. And many within the Christian church left the faith because of this, this philosophy that they were following. And this philosophy is called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Gnosticism. Okay. And it says that there is a secret knowledge that is individually achieved, which leads to salvation. Gnosticism says that there's this secret knowledge that we all have to discover. And, and we discover that individually. So it's really subjective. You know, it's kind of whatever makes you feel good. It's kind of follow your heart. It's kind of find your own truth. It kind of sounds a lot like the philosophy of our culture and world today. And Gnosticism says there's this secret knowledge and you have to discover it for yourself and that is what ultimately leads to salvation. And John is writing to refute this teaching. He says, no, 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 you can know God. You can know truth. It has been revealed to you. It has been given to you. You don't have to discover it. It's not some mystical reality. It's real, it's, it's true, it's tangible and you can know it. The problem with Gnosticism is you never know when you really arrived because your feelings tomorrow can be different than your feelings today. And Gnosticism is based on this subjective feeling of the experience of truth. Have you ever had a good day? And have you ever had a bad day? Gnosticism kind of leads us back and forth. We kind of waver between realities. It's not based on 
concrete reality. Somebody last week after the service asked me a question. They said, you talked about Gnosticism, but how does that relate to agnosticism, right? We've, we've heard the term agnostic before. And somebody asked me, so Gnostic and agnostic, how are those different or how are they similar? So Gnosticism says that spiritual knowledge is subjective, that there is spiritual knowledge and it's kind of up to your own individual interpretation. Agnosticism says that spiritual knowledge is not accessible. The little A in front of it means without. So you've, maybe you've heard the word asymmetrical. It means it's not symmetrical. Or amoral, without morality. Or atypical, not typical. And so agnostic means no knowledge. You can't know knowledge. So there's Gnosticism that says there is this secret knowledge and it's out there. The truth is out there, right? The X-Files, was, was that the thing from the X-Files? Right, that it's this divine, mysterious reality and if you, you know, if you, if you can look deep into the divine spark that is inside of you, then you'll discover the truth. Agnosticism says, no, 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 there might be truth, but we could never know it. And Christianity is different than both of these things. Christianity says that there is a spiritual knowledge and it has been revealed to us through the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Christianity says there is spiritual knowledge and you can know it because it's been revealed to you, it's been given to you, it's been granted to you through the word of God and through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, our faith is not this kind of subjective, feelings-based, up-to-day, down-tomorrow faith. It's based on something that's true and real and concrete, that's knowable, that's tangible. We don't have to spend our life running in circles. We can know, we can have confidence, we can have certainty that's why the Apostle John wrote this letter, so that we may know. Look at your neighbor and say, you can know. Look at your other neighbor and say, you can know. We can know. We can know God. We can know who we are in him. John wrote that we may no, okay, so that's a little review of last week before we get into this week, and we're still just gonna be in the first four verses of 1 John chapter one. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there to 1 John chapter one, and we're gonna read verses one through four. I'm gonna read it. It's gonna be on the screen so you can follow along. Um, and let me ask you to stand up with me as I read these four verses. And then we'll get into the message this morning, okay? So John writes in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, through the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to submit and to surrender to your truth this morning so that our joy may be complete. Speak to us through your word. Help us to surrender and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks. You can have a seat. So John has written that we may know, and this morning we see another reason that John wrote, and he wrote so that our joy may be complete. First John 1, 4, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. How many of you want to experience joy? Uh, put your hand up if you want to experience joy, right? If you're not raising your hand, you're a weirdo. Who doesn't want to experience joy, right? We all want to experience joy. And, and John is saying, I, I'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, our doesn't just mean John. It means our, collectively. His joy and our joy together, collectively, can be complete. And we're going to see how through the first three verses of 1 John chapter 1. He's written so that our joy may be complete. John wants us to experience joy, and, and it reflects the heart of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also wants us to experience joy. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus tells his disciples this, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. That's good news. Jesus desires for his joy to be in us and our joy to be made complete. When John writes that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he's reflecting the teaching and the truth of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, another writer of the New Testament who wrote most of the New Testament, he, he instructs us that we must have joy. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice. That's a command. You, hey, you over there, rejoice. Have joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice with an exclamation point. Rejoice. The New Testament instructs us to experience joy, to rejoice in the Lord. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be made complete. And John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, I've written all of these things so that our joy would be complete. But not only does the New Testament instruct us about joy, but the Old Testament, written before the birth of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, in the city of Bethlehem. The Old Testament from Genesis and all throughout is pointing to the Messiah who would come in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, we see instruction about joy. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, you reveal the path of light to me. In your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. A psalm of King David, who was the great, 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 great,
through the lineage of his mother Mary and his earthly father Joseph. And he's writing that we would experience the joy of the Lord in his presence. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 The prophet Nehemiah is writing to the people of God, the nation of Israel, and he tells them, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then Isaiah writes in chapter 35, verse 10, another prophet who is pointing to the ultimate joy that would come says this, the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion, that is the city of God, with singing crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, but it points to an ultimate reality that that there will be a group of people who are ransomed That is purchased, that is rescued, that is redeemed through the death of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And those ransomed people will come to God in his city Zion one day and we will be crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake us and sorrow and sighing will flee. That is our ultimate hope as believers in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want us to see through Scripture three things, that joy is possible, that joy is provided for, and that joy comes from a person. I worked hard on my my pastoral alliteration, so I I hope you appreciate it. (laughs) No, joy is possible, joy is provided for, and joy comes from a person. So, So first, let's see that joy is possible. Because the truth is, in this life, we might begin to question whether true joy really is possible. Because maybe we've experienced joy for a moment, and then that, that thing that gave us so much joy was taken away, and we're crushed. And we wonder, was the joy ever real to begin with? Joy is possible. But in this life, sometimes we wonder, true joy, lasting joy, is it really available? At, at the very best, it's certainly hard to find. It's certainly elusive. We have ups and downs. We have good days and bad days. And joy seems far away a lot of the time. We experience joy for a season based on a relationship or some success that we've had and all of a sudden it falls apart. We wonder whether it was really joy at all. And I I want us to see this morning that true joy, Christian joy, is deeper than our circumstances. It, It comes from deep in the soul. It's not based on what happens to us. It's not based on things that are temporary, but it's based on things that are are eternal. Joy is not just this buzz of euphoria that comes with the next thing, the next hit, the next gift, the next whatever. Joy is deeper than that. Joy is not just a Christmas gift that we get on Christmas morning and open up. I've got four kids. 
And I know how those Christmas gifts go. They're excited for a day, and then they forgot about it. And it just sits in the corner and it collects dust. And so we give it to somebody else, and then they say, hey, where's my toy? You didn't care about that toy. Yes, I, it's mine. Joy is not career success. Joy is not wealth. Joy is not a healthy retirement account. Joy is not when your favorite football team wins, right? College football just started. The NFL season starts today. One of my friends, I, I saw him post on social media. He said, it's only one more week until I let a professional football team determine my mood for the next four months. <laughs> and I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, and so there's not a lot of good days. We play the Patriots today. Yeah. It's a good thing that is not the source of my joy. But there's all kinds of things in this life that we look to for joy and they're passing and they're fleeting. There's even really good things that we look to in life. Not just superficial things and silly things. I mean, even the beauty of family and friends. That can't be our ultimate source of joy because many of us have had our hearts broken by those who are closest to us. We've lost loved ones and we're broken. Even those good and gracious gifts, if they become the ultimate source of our joy, they will let us down. Even those good and gracious gifts that, that God allows in our lives, they should point to something greater a true joy that is real and lasting. And so John is telling us that there is a joy that never runs out. There is a joy that will never let us down. There is a joy that never loses its shine. It's different than happiness. Happiness is based on what happens to us. Joy is deeper. Joy is in the soul. Joy comes from somewhere else. And so if true joy is not dependent on our circumstances, where does it come from? So joy is possible, but, but joy has also been provided for. Joy has been provided for. If it can't come from our circumstances, where do we get it? Well, the good thing is it's, it's been given to us. Listen to what John says in 1 John 1, the first two verses. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Listen, that life was revealed. It was revealed. We have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and that was revealed to us. Now, when something is revealed to you, that means it was given to you. It, it, you didn't find it. Revealed implies, you know, um, if you're at the car show and they reveal the new model, right? There's this big red drape over this automobile and all of a sudden they pull back the curtain and everybody goes, oh! 
They're so excited because they saw this new Corvette model that they've been waiting to see and they've been dreaming about. But it was revealed. Somebody pulled back the curtain. You didn't find it on your own. Somebody revealed it to you. And when the scripture says that that this life was revealed to us, it means that, that somebody pulled back the curtain for us so that we could see, so that we could experience, so that we could know. And so John goes to great lengths to describe the reality of this, what we're going to see is ultimate joy. He, he says, We've heard, John heard Jesus teach. He heard the words of Jesus. He heard Jesus say, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. John heard the words of Jesus. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus heal people and restore people. He saw Jesus go to the people that the rest of society rejected and yet Jesus came near and kneeled down and looked them in the face and said, who is it that condemns you? And the woman who was caught in sin said to Jesus, only you, Lord. And he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. The lepers who were the total rejects of society, who no one would get even close to, Jesus touched them with his hands and he healed them. And John saw these realities for himself. He experienced them. Not only that, it says that he observed. That goes beyond just seeing. That is this intent study. Observation implies that we're learning and we're growing and we're getting to know better and better and better and better. And in the time that John had with Jesus, he observed the reality that Jesus truly was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus asked one day, he asked his disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, maybe a prophet, maybe a teacher, maybe even Elijah reincarnated. And Jesus says, okay, what, who do you say I am? And one of his disciples, Peter, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And John understood that reality because he observed Jesus. He touched Jesus physically. Jesus was not just this spiritual phantom reality. Jesus was a physical human being, flesh and blood, God in flesh, 100% God, 100% man in the person of Jesus Christ. And John touched him. When they were eating the Last Supper together, it says that John leaned up against Jesus at the table. This person, Jesus Christ, was revealed. And John experienced him in every way possible. And he writes to us so that we could have confidence. This was the source of eternal joy and it was revealed to us. We didn't think it up. We didn't discover it. That's what Gnosticism says. Gnosticism says you gotta find your own path. You gotta find your own way. You have to discover your own truth. And John says, no, 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 no. That's a dead end road. You're just gonna keep going in circles if you pursue that path. 
There is truth, there is joy, there is reality, and it has been revealed to us. It has been given to us. It has been granted to us. It has been put in our laps. But what are we gonna do with it? Romans chapter eight, verse 32. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's speaking about God the Father, and it says this, he, God, did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If that's true, how will he not also with him, Jesus Christ, grant us everything? God loved us so much that he revealed his son, that he gave his son as a sacrifice. And if he did that, how will he also not give us everything that we need? for joy and hope and peace and confidence and spiritual life. It's been revealed to us. It's been given to us. It's been granted to us. We can know. True joy is possible, but true joy has also been provided for, given to us, granted to us. And the last thing is this. True joy comes from a person. True joy comes from a person. This joy that was revealed to us comes through a person. Listen how John finishes these four verses, the opening of 1 John. Verse three, he says, what we have seen and heard, remember he wrote, I saw him, I heard him, I observed him, I touched him. Now he's, he's alluding back to that. He says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, who's his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He said, I'm telling you about the revelation of Jesus Christ revealed, given to you, so that you can know him and have fellowship with him, and through that fellowship, your joy will be made complete because joy comes from a person. Now, we've been given all that we need through Jesus Christ, the source of joy, but we still have to accept it. We have to surrender to it. We have to choose to put our faith in Jesus as that source of joy and salvation and life. And sometimes we don't like that. Uh, C.S. Lewis was an author. He, He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, They made some movies, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and all that stuff. That was a kid's book, but he was also a great teacher and theologian. And uh, I I was reading some quotes this week, and and he said, um, joy is never in our control, uh, but pleasure often is. Here's what that means. Sometimes we don't choose joy because we want to be in control, And we can control pleasure. We can go make some more money. We can go 
party with our friends. We can go pursue a relationship. We can go pursue success, and, and we can control that, at least for a little while. It'll eventually turn on us, but hey, we feel like we're in control. But joy, that is not within our control. It's not something that we can pursue and manufacture. It's something that is revealed to us, and we must submit to joy. If we're going to experience joy, we have to surrender to that joy. Doesn't come to us on our own terms. God doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't respond to us when we say, hey God, this is how I want it and this is when I want it. He doesn't, oh yeah, 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 great, 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 great. No, if that's, if that's what God did, he would not be a very good God because our wants and desires are jacked up and we would put ourselves in a ditch every time if God just gave us exactly what we wanted when we wanted it on our own terms. No, we have to surrender to him to experience joy. It's available, it's possible, it's been provided for. It, it comes through the person of Jesus Christ but we must surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm writing all of these things so that you can have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with God and with his son Jesus. And, and when you experience this fellowship with God and his son Jesus and the fellowship of his people, the church, then you will experience joy. So joy is possible, it's provided for, it comes through the person of Jesus Christ but we must access it through fellowship with God. Fellowship implies a relationship. Fellowship implies following, surrendering. So how am I supposed to do that? <laughs> I mean, Jesus is not walking on earth with me today. I, I don't get to see him and touch him and hear him the same way that John did. That's why John says, I've written these things so that you can know. And so the way we submit and have fellowship with God and with Jesus Christ is through his word. It's through his word. God's word has been revealed to us and preserved for us so that we can know him through his word. Not through some mystical pursuit, not through finding our own truth, but by submitting to the truth of his word. Also, We submit to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, Scripture teaches us that God exists as a trinity. That is, God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is hard to understand for us. Doesn't matter how long you study scripture, we can know what scripture teaches. It doesn't mean it's easy to understand. But scripture very clearly teaches that God is one God. It's not three gods, it's one God that exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son submits to the Father, and the Spirit submits to the Son and the Father and Jesus taught us that he sent 
his Holy Spirit to us to confirm the truth of God's word in our heart, to give us life and strength to guide us. If we want to have fellowship with God, we surrender to his word and to his spirit. And we can know joy. Let me be really clear about one thing. So joy doesn't come through the good things that Jesus gives us. Because sometimes that's what we think. Okay, okay, so Jesus is gonna give me stuff that gives me joy. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying joy comes through Jesus, period. I'm not saying that joy comes when Jesus gives us that promotion that we really wanted. I'm not saying that joy comes from when Jesus lets us win the lottery. I'm not saying that joy comes from when Jesus finally lets our team win the Super Bowl. Joy comes through Jesus, period. And we surrender to Jesus and we experience joy. But when we think, Okay, 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 I like Jesus, I'm, I'm cool with that, and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask him to do some stuff for me. And if he does that stuff, then I'll know. No, because then the stuff becomes our source of joy. And that's not how it works. And Jesus may bless you. Jesus may give you the good desires of your heart. In fact, in the book of Psalms, it says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But the delight is in the Lord, not in the desires. Joy doesn't come through the stuff Jesus does for us. Joy comes through Jesus. And we get sideways when we say, well, I prayed for this one thing and it didn't happen, so therefore God is not really good and Jesus is not really who he says he is and he's certainly not the source of my joy. That's, we got it wrong. We got it wrong. Joy comes from a person. Not the gifts of that person, but through the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason that that joy can be lasting joy is because Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change like shifting shadows, James chapter 1 tells us. He is constant. The book of Revelation says he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That's who Jesus is. And because he is constant, because he is eternal, because he never changes, he is the only source of joy that can be constant and never changing and eternal and the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when we try to find our joy in any other place, even, even the socially acceptable joys of this world. They'll fail. They will fail. Now, are there hard things that happen in life? For sure. 
for sure. Christian joy doesn't mean we put our heads in the sand and pretend like everything's okay. La, 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 la. Don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Sometimes my wife will tell me about some sad news story and I, don't tell me that. I'm trying to enjoy my dinner. Don't tell me that bad stuff. I, but that's not what Christian joy is. It's not just pretending like everything's okay, ignoring the difficulties, the hard things, the brokenness. No, Christian joy just has a different source. It's not dependent on the circumstances of life. It's dependent on the person of Jesus Christ. One more quote and then I'll wrap up. A pastor named Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, he, he said this, other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys foreseeing the coming sorrows. But Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. For us, joy is not dependent on the good times, and it's not derailed by the bad times. There's a different source altogether. And it's possible and it's been provided for through the person of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, maybe you are not experiencing joy. I mean, you have some good days, but a lot of bad days. There has not been lasting, consistent joy in your life. Maybe in a long time, maybe ever. This morning, it's possible, it's provided for, and it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. For some, it starts with salvation. It starts with beginning a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is that idea of fellowship with God. God revealed himself to us. He demonstrated his love to us in this way, that while we were sinners, while we were Rebels against God, he sent Christ to die for us. He revealed himself to us. And we respond to this revelation by submitting to him. Scripture says if anyone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. So today, maybe you need to surrender to Jesus Christ. And I'm not just saying Believe in Jesus to give you good things. <laughs> I'm saying surrender to Jesus as your source of joy. Maybe, maybe that's you today. You've never done that. You've never come to that place of full surrender. Today I invite you to respond. And maybe you're a Christian today. You have come to a place in your life where you have surrendered to Jesus Christ, but, but you're not experiencing joy because... You've begun to look to other things in this world. Maybe they're good things. Maybe, maybe you lost something that was good. And I just want to remind you this morning that even those good things were never designed to be your source of joy. Only, only Jesus can do that. If I try to make my wife and my kids 
my source of joy, I will crush them because they will never be able to live up to my standards. That doesn't mean I have high standards. That just means when they, when I get an email from the teacher that says they did this or said that, and I go, ugh. That means when, you know, when I got to pay for another set of braces, I go, ugh. Right, because life is not a unending string of pleasures. <laughs> Even in our families. And if I try to make my wife and my kids my source of joy, I, that's not fair to them. They weren't designed for that. But if I understand that Jesus Christ is my source of joy, then I can find joy in my family, just not my ultimate source of joy. I can find joy in relationships. I can find joy in taking a walk on a nice, sunny, cool day. But that's not my ultimate source of joy. It comes from somewhere else. And this morning, maybe you've been looking for joy in even good things, but they're the wrong things. And this morning, you just need to come and say, Lord Jesus, be the center of my joy. Be the center of my joy. There's an old song that says, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and perfect comes from you. You're the source of my contentment, the hope of all I do. Jesus, be the center of my joy. And maybe you just need to let that be your prayer this morning. So stand up with me. We're gonna pray. I'm gonna give you a moment to respond. Then we're gonna sing a song as we dismiss this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you that joy is possible. Thank you that you have provided for our joy through the person of Jesus Christ. And when we have fellowship with him, our joy can be complete. Jesus, thank you for your words. You said, I, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Help us to believe that. Help us to surrender to that and submit to that. And Lord, in that, we will begin to experience joy in a way that we haven't before. Because Psalm 16 reminds us that only in your presence is fullness of joy. So Lord, I, I pray for those here this morning who have never come to a place of faith and surrender to you, that you would draw them to yourself today, that you would help them to surrender. God, I pray for believers this morning who have been looking for joy in your blessings rather than from you. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them with your joy this morning, that your joy would be their strength. So Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to surrender to it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if God is moving in your heart, I want to invite you to respond. I'm going to be down here in the front. I would love to pray with anybody who wants to pray with someone this morning. There will be others who will be willing to pray with you. If God is calling you to salvation, respond this morning. If God is calling you to, to find him as your source of joy instead of his blessings, then I invite you to respond this morning.